that Marco is lacking obedience to God in response there. I just was responding in faith, but anyway. Maybe there'll be another opportunity, Mark, where you can redeem yourself. But anyway. Can we all turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 10? We're going to get straight into the Word. Having a lot of fun. The scripture will appear behind me on the screen. I'm going to be reading this morning from the message version of the Bible. And, uh, and I've been given permission to read from this version. And the people, somebody once said, a famous preacher said, what's the best version of the Bible? He, was, uh, he, was, uh, he answered profoundly, whichever one you read. So if you're reading a Bible, thumbs up to you. It's a good version. Well done. Good enough. We'll take that. So let's read together from verse 5. It says this, Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day, which we learned this last week. It's not even that much. You don't even need three meals. You can do it. Final thought was travel light. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning that your word is going to shape us. It's going to change us. It's going to shake us, God, as we become the people you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Very quickly, just because we've met a lot of the kids, I want to ask you to do something really practical this morning. Can you turn to the person next to you and just look at them and say, you're looking really good. Very nice. Now, please can you turn to the person that you ignored on your other side and say, hey, have a good week. No offense. No offense. Good. All right. Good. I want to tell you this morning that in just over a month's time, I get to move into a new house, a new flat. It's into a new complex. And I don't do it alone. I move in with, at that time, she'll be my wife. Very exciting. I'm very excited. I'm counting down the days. She doesn't even know how many days are to go, but I know. I'm counting. But uh, what happens when you move into a new complex or a new house or a new residential area you probably know this, but it comes, it needs to be stated, it comes with a factor, that, an unknown factor called a neighbor. Does anyone know that? Good. Well, I debated, I've been moved around a bit, I've lived in Zimbabwe, then Durban, and here in Cape Town, and a number of homes, so I've experienced a few different neighbors, they come in all sorts and sizes, uh, and they have pros and cons, but I thought this morning, I've got a number of neighbor stories, which one should I tell? So I thought of telling the first one was about the, the neighbors who lived next door to us in Zimbabwe with a wild pack of Rottweilers who um, have put me off animals for the rest of my life because they managed to, one, but systematically eat every single one of our pets. We had chickens. Yeah, good start to a message, eh? Preached. Everyone's like, whoa, where's he going with this? They all ate all our rabbits. They ate all our pets. We were not fans of them. They were vicious animals that we used to stay away from. And then my had cruel older brothers when we played cricket or whatever sport we played, the Rugby World Cup in our back garden or the Premier League final, the ball would go over the fence. And every time, there's two older brothers and me, and we always voted democratically. And <laughs> it 
always seems like I ended up having to go back over the fence. Never works with us, but anyway. But I'd get over there, push me up onto the wooden fence. I'd look over, and there, lo and behold, was our ball in the middle of the lawn, thinking there's no Rottweilers inside. If I go quickly, we can get this thing. We need it for the game. The game's an extra time here. We need to finish it. My brother's like, go for it, go for it. So I sneak across the lawn, pick up the ball, and as I pick up the ball, my brothers without fail would start shaking the fence and go, second boy, second boy. <laughs> and I see this flash of red leap over the fence. I was never much of a hurdler until that moment. I thought about telling that story, but I won't. Don't worry. I thought about telling a story about one of my latest neighbors at one of the last two houses I've stayed at here in Cape Town. He was, if I can put it lightly, either a member of, a secret member of the Third Reich or a Blue Bull supporter, one of the two. And, uh, yes. Yes, Satan. Oh, sorry, I thought you were somebody else. Uh, no, he was a man who used to time his visits perfectly. I have one day off in a week. It's a Monday morning. And he would come without fail, 7 a.m. Monday morning, ringing the doorbell repeatedly. Sometimes with a nice little tune. Anger, skull on his face. And I promise you, every week I had to explain to him the same thing. He would say to me, where's my bin? And I'd have to explain to him, it's not here. I live at number 8. My bin has an 8 on it. Yours is number 7. And he'll, I'd have to go and walk him to his house, show him his bin, and he'll get my apologies. And he would back away. But I knew it was just a matter of time he would come again. I thought about telling that story, but I skipped over that one. But I thought about this one. I landed on this story, my pinnacle, the piece de resistance of neighbor stories, was in Durban. We lived in a flat, a second-story flat with another flat next door. And uh, there were some neighbors. They, were quite some, they had some things going on, and the, the wife and the husband were having lots of feuds. And we didn't know that she had actually kicked him out the house. We didn't know that. We, we, we got on well with them. They obviously didn't get on well with each other. He didn't come back home. But uh, we thought he was still living there. He arrived one day and knocked on our door and said, Hey, sorry, guys. Sorry to disturb you. I've, I've left my keys. I can't find them. Can I climb to your roof and climb over into my house? I need to get some stuff. And we like, my parents, my ones, my dad. So, hey, I want to be a good neighbor, you know, a cup of sugar, climb through our roof. It's all the same, all relatives. He said, why, why not? My mom was in a, in a nighty in bed, wondering what all the fuss was, holding a cup of tea. And up my father, my elderly father, little guy on his shoulders, pushes him through the hole in the roof. This guy clams up and my father gives him one last piece of advice. Walk on the beams. <laughs> Common knowledge, you would think. Yes, he says, and he starts chasing across the beams. My father's about to get back into bed with my, my mom to explain what is going on. And lo and behold, he did not walk on the beams. And through their bedroom roof comes plunging the next door neighbor and he gets stuck swearing at the top of his voice <laughs> with his legs on top of my mother, my mild-mannered mother, just keeps sipping her tea, doesn't know really what to do or not. There goes the ceiling fan. And he's, um, my older brother tells the story because he was there at the moment and he rushed through to see what was going and he saw my two parents trying to, to they didn't know whether to laugh or to cry or to scream at him. They, he started saying, pull me down. And he started, no, push me up. I don't know which one. And eventually they were left with a hole in the roof and he went, carried on his way because he thought he would bow out at that time. I, I thought about telling that story, so I did. And that's it. We have, us, my family, we have come up to face to face with incredible neighbors. We have, we've had colorful neighbors. They've been wonderful. But this morning, I want to say that I think none of us are exempt to this. We probably all could tell a story of a neighbor. Maybe you would be there with your cup of tea with your wife or your kids or on your own, and you see the, the, the for sale sign go up or the, the for rent sign go up, and you see the new family move in. And it's that 
that family who comes in and they, they play that God-forsaken rap music. Oh, and you look, and as they turn the volume up at ungodly hours, you look at your wife with a cup of tea and go, there goes the neighborhood. Oh. Or maybe the other family that's moving, that guy, that guy with the long hair, oh, and that low-cut vest, Mark and Jason, and with a... And he walks in with a swagger, and he takes your parking spot every time. And you're forced to go park at the other end of the complex, and you mutter on your breath, there goes the neighborhood. Ah, or that family that move in, and they come with three very lively boys, and they get up at five in the morning and put their trampoline right by your fence. And Keith looks at Sharon and says, there goes the neighborhood. have you here, Keith. <laughs> Glad you made it this morning. Whatever your story is, I want to tell you this morning, my title this morning is There Goes the Neighborhood, but I want to explain as my thesis, my aim this morning, what I want to do is I have this idea that what if the church understood, suddenly understood who they really were, and instead of running from the darkness, instead of fleeing the darkness in fear, we did an about turn and we charged headfirst back into it. We plow back into the darkness to wrestle with it and grip it and bring it under our command. Or maybe instead of the church building bigger walls and telling their children, stay away, stay away, we want to hide and bunker down and wait for something. Instead of that, maybe we start tearing down walls and we start climbing over walls and getting into people's space and start loving on the unlovables. My thesis this morning is, I believe that when the church gets this revelation, instead of running away, start engaging, that when we move in, that Satan turns to his enemies, to, to his demons, and says, oh, there goes that neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood. I want to tell you, my thesis this morning is that when Fiona and I move into our new complex, that Satan had designed to put strife, and there's brokenness, and divorce, and pain, and anger, and joblessness, and financial pressures, and abuse going on in this complex, that when Fiona and I walk in there, the enemy goes, oh, there goes that neighborhood. That's my thesis this morning, that, that when you arrived in Cape Town, your family came and you thought just for a job, that you stepped into Cape Town, then he went, oh, there goes that neighborhood. When you got that job, that you just thought you, you circled the ad and said, I'll go for that interview, you got it, you think it was by chance. No, I believe that day the enemy went, look, there goes that neighborhood. I believe that that is what I want to do. That's my aim this morning, is to get us alive, get us kicking with that. Is everyone all right with that? Yes. Give me a wave, give me a wave. The kids can't get all the waves. I've got to get a wave. I want to tell us this morning, and I will be brief. I know that is possibly one of the biggest lies in the world. <laughs> a preacher saying, I will be brief. I'll try. I'll try my hardest. <laughs> Please try. For us to have this sort of impact, for us as a church, and I want to make a quick disclaimer, the church, when I say that, is not a building. I don't want to take it for granted that we all know that, but this is just a facility, just somewhere that the church gather. We are the church. So you can turn to someone and say, you and I, we're the church. Can you say that this morning? Got to get this in us. But when I say this, I want, I believe for us as a church, you and I, those who have given our hearts to Jesus Christ and have said He is Lord, not just in song, but in life and in, in practice, when we the church understand this, it's for us to have this impact of there goes the neighborhood, we have to get two imperatives. Are you ready for them? Great. The first imperative, and you can write this down or you can say it or whatever you want to do with it, is this. It'll come on the screen. You have more than enough. That's it. You have more than enough. Let's go back to our text. We open the text, Matthew 10, 
Jesus comes, he gathers his 12 fresh faced, inexperienced disciples. Some of them, I can imagine, so classes resume for the day. They move in. Some of them possibly have alcohol still in their breath. One of them is still battling with his anger issues. Another one's still struggling with some gambling addiction. But they've come to class excited. They're pumped up. They're thinking today's going to be another Jesus Instagrammable moment. They're like, oh, what's he going to do today? I'm going to, oh, oh, I'm going to tag him in this one. What has he got? They've got the tweets ready, hanging with, hashtag hanging with Jesus. They're so pumped. They arrive at this moment, and Jesus doesn't go, and he doesn't do another moonwalk across the water. He doesn't come and do a party trick with the, the water into wine. He says to them, I'm going to commission you this morning. He gives a brave heart style speech where he says, listen, you're going to go. You're going to move into the neighborhoods. And he gives them this speech. And I can imagine them on the back foot looking around at the end of it, just looking at each other and go, us and, and, and what army? Have you seen Braveheart? It's that sort of moment where it's the biggest moment where William Wallace rides in and he says, Will you fight? And they go, No. We'll run. It's one of those, Oh. That sort of moment. I can imagine like, Oh, no. They did. They really thought, Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, they said, Thomas here still hasn't got that water into wine thing. Say, can you show us one more time? One more time, Jesus. Or, no, we're not too sure. Thomas doesn't really believe. No, no, no. They're like, you haven't even read all the coursework yet. How can you give us practical? Haven't done the theory exam yet, Jesus. What are you doing? And he's like, no, go. It's going to do this. Jesus believes in him. And I want to tell you this morning that he's not looking for the qualified. He's looking for the available. He's not looking for the qualified. He's looking for the available. There's a myth in that is around in church, Christendom around the world. And I want to bust it big time this morning. There's a myth, it's, it's called in fancy words, the myth of the clergy and the laity. Those, there's some who are paid to the work of God, and the others clap and cheer from the sidelines. There's some that, that do the work, and some that say, I'll just support the work financially. Or there's some who say, they're the haves and the have-nots. They're all, oh, he's really good at that thing. Sure, you should come and see our pastor. You should come and see our home group leader. He, oh, he's got a great worship leader. As if they're the people who do the, the ministry. I want to tell you that... The Bible clearly says in Ephesians chapter 4 that the work of the people who, who do the ministry, full-time employees, people who do that stuff, the gift that God gives, the, their work, their job is to equip the saints for works of service. If the only people who are doing ministry are the people who have the microphone up front or the people who lead a home group, they're the only people doing it, they failed. They can be the best preacher in the world. They can get a million podcast hits every week. Failed. Their job is for the church to raise the church up to maturity, to do the work. Just a little help here. I want to say it's a myth, a big myth of like, oh, I'll just support it. I want to say right now, my belief and my prayer is that we do not have two full-time pastors or three or five staff members or, or four elders or whatever you say. We have 400 plus pastors that we get to send out every week into the city. So if you don't believe me, can I just quickly do this if you're a bit religious? You can put your hands over here. I want to do a quick mass ordination. I ordain you as pastors. Name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Done. You're all pastors. Ordination over. Everyone done? Happy with that? Good. Just quickly. Just having fun, pushing the boundaries. I want to tell you that Jesus says it's the whosoevers that do the ministry. He loves, he loves to use those that the world has written off. He loves it. Do you know why? Because he can make much more of himself. And how do you know that? If you want to know any proof on the pudding, just look at me. I'm telling you, I'm one of the man, people who believe this with all my heart. 
I really believe that time, the gospel cannot be changed. Paul said that. He said the gospel cannot be changed. The gospel will advance. But I believe the church have handcuffed herself. We, we've, we've handcuffed ourselves. We've, we've chained ourselves back and said we don't fully believe that we are doing it. There's only some. We release some out at a time, but we're cowering in the bushes, waiting for someone else to do something, or cowering in apathy. But I really believe that that lie is going to be broken this morning. And we're going to have a dare goes the, mo- the neighborhood moment where we're going to understand what we have been given and what we have to do. I want to tell you, the reality is, the first moment you believed, whether it was at a church you slipped your hand up, whether it was in someone else's home where they prayed for you, whether it was on your own where God just became real and he said, God, I believe in you. That moment when your heart came alive to Jesus, can I tell you, all of hell was silenced and they looked at each other and said, there goes the neighborhood. There goes the neighbor, because they know that if, if you're placed in a family strategically, God actively says that he, for he knows the times and places that you should live. He has ordained every day. He knows the people you should come in contact with. He knows the families that you're born in. You might hate your family. You may say, but there's nothing good in my family. He says, that's why I put you there. There goes the neighborhood. I want us to understand this this morning. You might even say, you might say this. I've heard this said, hey, uh, listen, I'm... Um, Listen, I just get up at 6 in the morning, I go, I'm a coffee barista, I go make coffee, I do that, I come home. I want to say, no. Prophetically, I want to declare, you're not just a coffee barista, or barista, maybe. A coffee barista, you are a bean revivalist. Ooh. You might say, I'm just a teacher. I'm just a teacher, and I deal, you must know, it's, it's hell on earth. And I'll say, why, why didn't you set up an outpost on the edge of hell there? That's why you're there. To set up, a, to move into that and say, there goes the neighborhood. I want to tell you, you might say, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I tell you, you go and shop every day. Every time you step foot in a shop, the, the enemy goes, oh, possibility, there goes the neighborhood. This is the church mobilized, alive, and living with the power of God inside of them. I want to tell you, when you pitch up for work on a Monday morning, and the whole office is mumbling with yourself, that we're in for one hell of a week. Smiles should come on your face and say, oh, that's why I'm here. This is the very place to be. I think you all know it. The world lives. It pulsates with this phrase, T-G-I-S. Thank God it's Friday. Oh, yes, we live for it. I'm afraid that some of the church, most of the church, live with T-G-I-S. Thank God it's Sunday. We made it through another week. Thank God, protect me for this week. I just want to keep on... Oh, I want to stay away from the enemy. Thank God it's Sunday. I can just get my little touch of God. I'm not belittling Sunday. I think Sundays are hugely important. But if Sunday is not affecting Monday, it's useless. I want to tell you, I really believe that. I pray that the church, this church, that you and I, the people in this body who call this place home, would start getting a thrill in our hearts and we'll start as almost a thing of saying T-G-I-M. Thank God it's Monday. When the world are going in with sulky faces, we're going with going, there goes the neighborhood. Walk in, there goes that neighborhood, there goes my workplace, there goes this person, there goes those shops, because everything changes. I hope this is all right with you. Good. Let's go back to our text. What happened? Jesus, he starts off them, and he says these incredible things. If you want to skip back to Tyler on the screen, you can read it together. Go back a couple more, right to the beginning of it. Okay, good. Jesus sends his twelve out. He says, "Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers." And as a famous preacher once said, "It says sometimes it's easier for us to go to a far-off place 
and step, off the, step over the dying bodies on our own doorstep. Just a thought. Then he moves on. He says, don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. The same preacher went on to say, it's easier to picket an abortion clinic than to get adoption in your heart or join the kids' ministry and start to build from the ground up. Just a thought. It's easier to blog about a public enemy than come and be vulnerable with a private battle in community. Challenging some thoughts here. I want to tell you that sometimes we get caught up looking for the spectacular. Sometimes in Christendom we're so excited for the spectacular that we miss out on the supernatural that happens every day. I tell you, the supernatural so often we think it happens in the, the limelight, it happens in the shadows. Because in the shadows, that's where the darkness is. And that's where the light needs to be. Just some thought. I want to help us here. Some practical things that Jesus, He gave us and the gospel that He gives us. The Bible starts with, you know, we understand in Genesis 1, He gives man dominion and says, go and have dominion. He then says to Abraham, the first thing, Abraham, who we spoke about in November, he was a man who was not qualified in the very least. And the first thing God says to him is, go to the land I'll show you. The great commission that he gives to the, the, the new church, a first church, he doesn't say to him, have prayer meetings, do this, then have a nice this, and then have a mother's group, and then do it. All those things are good things. But he said, go to all the world. Go. The gospel, even as the first two letters of gospel is go. This may be a coincidence. We're just being funny. I want to tell you that going is in the heart of God. When we, what I mean by go, it means stepping out of our comfort zone. Not meaning go just to be on a mission trip. It means every day living with go in our heart. If you want to grow this year, and you say, I want to grow. Most Christians start the new year, new resolution. I want to grow in God. I want to tell you to grow is to go. How does this happen? Growing, what does this do? It, it increases us in three ways. When we go, we grow in the re- our revelation of God. I'll tell you why. In Philemon verse 6 says this. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, in faith, in faith, sharing your faith, so that you may have a full understanding of the salvation that you have. So many of us get stuck and say, when I have a full understanding of the salvation I have, then I'll be active in sharing my faith. That's not how God works. He gives us, and as we step out, we go, wow, and He reveals more. It's called progressive revelation. When you get saved, you don't get a full download and go, I get it, everything, wonderful. He says, no, I give you a little bit. When you step up, I give more. I reveal more. That's the God we serve. So if you want to grow in revelation of God, step out. Secondly, what going does to us, it says that we, um, God increases our sphere of influence. When we're going, we, our influence increases. Because wherever you go, the kingdom goes. Do you know that? People often, the disciples got in the discussion around this, and he said, where is the kingdom of God? He said, is it there? Is it here? And he said, no, the kingdom is within you. So wherever I step, I step, the kingdom of God is here. I tell you, the moment I walked in this morning, the kingdom of God comes with me. We are gatekeepers of the kingdom. Jesus said this, this is biblical. He said, said, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, and I give you the keys of the kingdom. So we have the keys of the kingdom. I want to tell you, that means that every area in the city is open to us. Wherever we go, the kingdom goes. It's an incredible thing, and our influence increases. The Bible even goes on in Isaiah 54, a passage we love to quote. It says, enlarge the place of whose tent? Of your tent. 
God gives us authority and says, enlarge the place of your tent. God has always done. He's given man authority to do it. What he did with his disciples, he gave them authority. He didn't give them a prescription and said, only if you tick off these things, he says, you have authority to do it. So many of us saying, God, please, enlarge the place of my tent. I want more influence. I tell you, when we go, when we step out, our influence increases. If you say, I don't have much influence in my life, step out. You'll get more influence. That's how you grow. The third thing that growing does for us is going increases the activity of God in our lives. How do I know this? Because faith moves God, not me. Oh, I really need a breakthrough. Okay, what are you going to do about it? Faith moves the heart of God. We often pray, churches will do this, say, God, send your power. And I can imagine God, who's a generous God, goes, okay, what do you need it for? Oh, we hadn't thought of that. Uh, power, power, power. What do you need? You're not doing anything that actually needs power. Um, no. Can I tell you something? When you step up, when you lay hands on a sick person, you need the power of God. You're in the realm of faith now. When you go and you do so, start feeding people, and you go, I don't know where my finances are going to come this month, because I'm looking after people that are not my own and called to, that's when faith realm has to kick in. That's when God says, oh, now you need my power. So often we get caught in that trap. I want to tell you, going increases God's, the activity of God in our lives, because he says this, my grace is made perfect in your weakness, not in your comfort. Grace was never there to make us feel better or make us more comfortable. Grace, God, is there to step up so we can, we can stand in waters deep and say, I don't know how I'm standing, but I am. That's the grace of God. Three little thoughts there. And I want to tell you, I got a whiff of this understanding a few years ago when my heart got gripped by this thing and, and chatting with a number of leaders in the church. We went, a couple of friends of us, we went down the road and we thought we're going to become locals at a pub. Whoa, careful, careful there. Pastor, careful, careful. And we arrived at a seedy pub, and I'll tell you, to cut the story short, for the last three years, I've been going there quite regularly. I'll go there late at night, even pop in for a little bit. And I moved in there, and I remember thinking in my head, maybe not with the same phrase, but I remember going in there for the first time and seeing depression, seeing guys who are there, locals are coming every night because their families have left them, because there's brokenness. I remember walking in and just hearing, there goes that neighborhood. What Satan has set up for just destruction and negativity, I thought, I bet he never saw this one coming, <laughs> that I would walk in, flip, this is not the, the scheduled voice, what's going on? Gabe walks in, starts becoming friends, we start becoming friends with these guys. I'll tell you some highlights of this thing. Just being friends, not going with an agenda of I'm going to, right, listen to me everybody. No, that's not what I, God's saying. Move into the neighborhood. I moved in there and uh, became friends with one of the guys and we're chatting about life and hearing his story. Then a few months down the line, he, his son, who has no notion of the gospel or church or anything so very unchurched is getting married. He says to his dad, I don't know what to do. Who's going to marry us? His dad goes, I know a guy. I met him in the bar. <laughs> awesome. Phones you up. Can you do the wedding? Of course. Pitch up at a wedding. I get you to preach and do a wedding with a hundred unsaved people who have never stepped foot in a church, out of church. Can I tell you my influence, which I could have stayed in the church and gone, this is my influence, stepped out hundred people. Can I tell you, some of those people have started coming to church and popping in. Still trusting. I tell you, I prayed for a lot of guys there for healing. Not in dramatic ways, but just chatting with them. Got pain. Can I just pray with you? Keep my eyes open in the bar. You want to look after your things as well. Just a tip. Managed to pray with people. Chat with people. Even led some guys to the Lord. 
It's an incredible moment that I don't think the enemy saw coming. Another one was a bar. Another one was a barbershop. I started, every one of us needs to get our hair cut at some point. Maybe some of us maybe have less hair on our heads. It's not, not accusing you. It's natural. But we have to go get our haircuts. And I thought instead of going and just sitting down and getting my haircut and going, I was filled with a thought. I step in here, there goes the neighborhood. So I went to a barbershop, which is run by three Muslim guys. Don't think the enemy saw that one coming. Three Muslim guys who live on their own in isolation. They don't have much community here. They've left their family. They've got no friends here. He thought, ah, they, they, there's no one going to reach them. And in walks Gabe Phillips. He's going to walk in every day. Buy them a Coke. How are you guys doing? I tell you, they've become my, some of my good friends. That we've watched soccer together now. And I tell you, we discussed fasting. They were like, you're fasting. What, what is that about? Tell us the difference. And I'm just telling you that it just provides opportunities where God's glory can come. When the church starts understanding that every moment, there goes the neighborhood. I step into an area, even if I feel like it or I don't, there's an opportunity because I'm there for things to shift. Everyone okay? Good. I want to just very quickly land this point and get onto the second one, which is much shorter. Is we very, dis- very quickly disqualify ourselves. We often think that we've maybe tricked Jesus in the entrance exam. Like one day I'm going to be found out that I'm actually not, not what I say I am. I talk the talk, but like, ooh, we're just skirting by on 50%. I want to tell you, that's the beauty of grace. And this is the wonderful, most freeing thing, is that he called you. You didn't call him. He walked past the disciples, and he looked into him and said, you, follow me. They didn't come, they didn't sign up and say, we'd like to try this program, see how it goes. No, I want to tell you right now, theologically, he found you. And he's not a man that he should lie. Okay. Second point is this. So the first point, if you can say it with me, you have more than enough. You can personalize it if you want. I have more than enough. Second point is, so pack lightly. Get to our text and Jesus tells them, go kick out demons, go do these, these kung fu fighting things, go and touch the untouchables. It's crazy stuff. They're like, whoa. And he lands that part and saying, you've been given too generously, so be generous. It's almost like they don't add up where it's like, it seems like a power dynamic and generosity. I'm like, how do they link up? What is the combination here? But I really believe, I really believe that God, his plea for us as a church, for to be the church, is this word called generosity. It is so counterculture. It is so anti-everything this world promotes. But as the church gets gripped with the generosity that God has given us, I believe the floodgates of this neighborhood are going to break down very, very quickly. I believe as he said this, he said this, why he says Because he wanted to free them up. And he said, you're not going to have to beg. You're not going to have to have all the right tools or conditions. He hands them the greatest weapon. In this moment, we're commissioning them. They think maybe our big weapon is going to be shared. You tell us one more time. Liam, is there a secret prayer we pray when we pray for a guy who's possessed or somebody's sick? Do we have to do a big rain dance? What is the secret, Jesus? Give us one thing. He goes, be generous. Be generous. Profound, profound moment. And I believe this. To quote some, a famous blogger, he said, he wanted to release their hands from holding onto the temporal so they could be open to handle things eternal. I'll say it again. He wanted to release their hands from holding on the temporal so they could be open to handle things eternal. If you want to grow this year, my key for you, the first one is to grow is to go. Second one, to grow is to sow. To grow is to sow. There's a principle in the Bible, and God does not lie. Sow, and you will reap. It's a principle. God says, test me in this. 
tenth you're going to sow and you will reap a harvest. God is not, he does not lie. I want to, I'm so confident of the fact. fact. And I want to even say to you, and Quentin alluded to this morning, even the faith means we sow even when we're in famine. Even when we don't have, we look at our seed and we say, I'd rather hold on to the seed. Sowing in faith means we're sowing when we don't even know where the next seed will come from. I want to tell you why this is so powerful, because there's a principle in Scripture called the opposite spirit. So right now, we could be sitting here, and you could be struggling with financial things for years and years and years, and can never break free. I want to tell you, possibly, maybe you've been living in a poverty mentality. A poverty spirit has gripped your family and just can't break through. I want to tell you, the poverty spirit is broken with not clever stewardship. Maybe that might help. Maybe good budgeting will help. But wisdom helps. But it's not broken primarily with just that. The poverty spirit is broken by the opposite spirit, which is lavish generosity. I charge you of that today. I charge you with that today. Test God in this. I want to say, if you, if you want any more examples of this, that the spirit of fear is broken with, he said, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. So whenever I come up against someone with a spirit of fear and anxiety and was fearful, what are the three things I pray for? Love, power, sound mind. Can I tell you? God's word does not lie. It's so confident. I'm so confident of this thing. If you're struggling with lust, I believe this to the core of me because God set me free in these ways. Where if you struggle with lust, what is the root of lust? Selfishness. Please me. So what, how do we combat selfishness? Start giving to other people. Start giving your time to other people. Start serving other people. The opposite of lust is service. Laying your life down. It's not now I need to go more cold turkey and back away. Wisdom. Yes, there's wisdom. But I want to tell you, if you, if you struggle with something, so in the opposite spirit. Just some thoughts. I want to tell you, sometimes I wish someone would offend me, just so I could show them grace. I honestly do. I really do. Because the opposite spirit of offense, when there's offense in the church or offense in the family, people offendable, can I tell you, you just need to show grace. Or you could fight the cause and try and prove to them, listen, I was never wrong all along. Offense will just grow. But if you show grace, something shifts. The opposite spirit kicks in. To grow is to sow. So I want to just give you a quick point on that. Get a biblical view of tithing. If you struggle with tithing still, I'm so sorry for you. It's so freeing. Get a biblical view. Don't ask us. Go look at the word. See what God says about it. I want to pray that the, the generosity would become a buzzword in our church, in our community. That we would, instead of defaulting to negativity, we'll default to generosity. To there goes the neighborhood. Oh, wow, a, dodge, a bad situation in that family. Awesome. There's a there goes the neighborhood opportunity. Somebody's struggling with finances. Somebody's struggling with lift. They can't, they, their car's broken down. There's no one. I'm going to, I love to drive your kid to work, so, to school every day. Sure, it will cost me. I'll be late for work, but I'll leave earlier. It's an opportunity for there goes the neighborhood. Somebody in your street that doesn't even come to the church. Mark mentioned the other day that we wanted to serve the community with, with DIY. Go and serve widows and women on their own with, by saying, we are men who can do DIY, so not me. But um, I'll come and have tea with them while they do it. But people want to say, I'll do your DIY. What is that? That is a, an opportunity for there goes the neighborhood. Where they are alone and lonely and no hope, don't know how to do this. But all of a sudden comes a knock. We've come to serve you. Enemy goes, wait a minute. There goes the neighborhood. Flip, I had a grip on that one. That's the church being the church. But I want to say under this, don't be ruled by your lack. Be ruled by his overflow. Get a glimpse of his generosity this morning. We often pray, show me God. 
and then I'll go. When God's principle is go, and then I'll show you. Go, and then I'll show you. That is how God works. I want to say this morning, as we bring this to land, there's a thing where I think a lot of us are so caught up. We've so packed our bags, our, our, our knapsacks, as we move from place to place, we're so place to place, we've so packed our bags so heavily. Jesus lands this passage by saying, travel lightly. Because I believe so many of us have so packed our bags with, with anger and bitterness and prejudice in our hearts to say, I'll go to them, but not to them. You don't know the neighbors I've got. You don't know the work I've got. We've got such issues that we carry around that we walk into a place that there's no threat of there goes the neighbor because we've packed our bags so heavily. I want to say, before we're going to take these neighborhoods around us, these neighborhoods that we influence, we have to hand over the keys to Jesus of our neighborhood, who we are. Some of us maybe have given him just a block or just a day and a week or maybe just a few moments. And he's saying, no, 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 I want everything. I want every key. I want every room. I want all of access. I want your heart. There's a scripture in John chapter 1, the message version says, the, word, the, the NIV says, the word became flesh and lived amongst us. The message version says, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. When God sent his one and only son, he said, there goes the neighborhood. Satan had thought he had dominion. He thought he had, he had broken the back of Adam and mankind. And he thought, they're done. And God says, for God so loved the world that he gave. The key is generosity. And then walks Jesus Christ. There goes the neighborhood. I want to tell you, when he did that, he put on our flesh and blood. He did not fear our mess, our brokenness. He did not run from the darkness. He confronted it. He stepped into it. He took on himself the full curse of hell. He broke the back of death itself. He snapped the bony finger that pointed us of our shame and our guilt. He snapped it, and he put on himself the full weight of the curse and put on us the full blessing of heaven. We have the full blessing of heaven. You have more than enough. So today, as I believe today, as you believe that, as you come in line, you say your thinking comes in line and your, your belief system comes in line that I have more than enough. I'm going to pack lightly. I'm going to allow him to move into my neighborhood. I believe as God grips our hearts, the enemy loses his grip today. And I believe all around the city, because of all the influences that we have, I believe the loud cry will echo out of the depths of hell. They go, there goes the neighborhood. And they understand the church are realizing who they are. Can I pray for us?